Welcome to The Watchmen. Behold, Lamplighters, Watchmen 88's landed. On the double H's, we'll address the new Newcomb. Goodbye, Julia Pearson. Workplace violence is beheadings. And Ebola in the U.S. The lamp's been lit. And as I introduce you this week, gentlemen, who is your favorite number 88? Bob Goff, QuincyJournal.com. Drew Pearson. John C. Grease, morning meeting. The most famous one for me that stands out is Eric Lindros. Brian Nichols, morning meeting. I don't have a favorite 88. You're not going Michael Irvin. Yeah. Des Bryant. That'll work. Lynn Swan. Uh, Lynn mm-hmm. Swan, if I, yeah, if I didn't hate the Steelers so much. Patrick Kane. Alan Page, Bob. Oh, yeah. Tony Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison. Yep. Two Hall of Famers. Dale Jr. Eights are wild, everybody. This past week, we found out that Hobart Historic Constructions put together plans for a Newcomb-like structure for that space at 4th and Main downtown in Quincy. And Bob, you've got a list of things that Hobart wants out of the deal and what they'll offer the city, too. This deal has brought out the Boo Birds, who say the deal's tilted too heavily in Hobart's direction. Hobart's not a local group, they say. TIF funds will be mishandled in this deal, among other issues. Will this deal get worked out in the end? I mean, Hobart says the new building could be in place by next summer. Hobart's going to have to concede a lot of their Christmas wish list if this is going to happen. They're basically asking for half of it to be subsidized. That's a bit much. Typically, the max amount of any kind of subsidy on this sort of thing is, and this would be a combination of city, federal, state, not just city, would be about 25%. So they're going to have to bring it down. I don't think they're going to get the money up front. I just don't see the city just saying, hey, here it is, and then we'll pay back the loan. I think they'll still get a significant portion of the TIF money, just prorated, but as this is uh, usually the case, once the details of this came out, you had a whole bunch of developers in town who all of a sudden said, wait, 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 you know, even said, well, I'd have paid for the land. Well, you didn't make the offer. So if this thing falls through, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because I think you could have some people come up and say, hey, we'll do something. But if Hobart's smart, they'll throttle back their demands by about 50% of what they're asking for and then still come away with a, with a pretty nice deal. I haven't given much thought to the knee-jerk reaction from locals because when you're asked for an RFP, you're asked for what your proposal is. Well, you can ask for the sun and the moon and ask for Pluto to be returned to full planet status. That doesn't mean that's what's going to happen at the end of the negotiation. This is just the opening line. Hey, we've come to the table with this. Now let's talk about how it works. Personally, I hope this goes through. That being said, the only thing I was disappointed about when I got to see the plans was the much smaller footprint of the proposed building. Now, I did a little bit of asking around, and I was told that's due to laziness on the part of locals who won't park at the park and walk across the street to somewhere. If you don't have on-site lot parking, well, then for some reason people don't want to be bothered to get out of their car and walk across the street. So much for people wanting to make this a more urban environment. But one of the first things they said in the comment was, well, I hope they're going to have enough parking because this will never get approved if they don't have enough parking and the point is there's a city lot just down the street and guess what we don't build these parking lots just so mary griffith has a place to park in every day we build these parking lots so anybody has a place to park and guess what if they're full you go find another place to park the concept that everybody needs to have their own parking but that's just not it's not how it works in an environment such as what we have downtown if if you think it does then you don't know the concept of a downtown and you're unwilling to see it come to fruition and i maybe that's why we 
we are where we are today. We have all of these people that always whine and moan and complain that nothing happens downtown or we don't have anything going on downtown. There's no buildings. We can't get anybody to come here. And then the minute we do, all of a sudden you have 18 reasons why they shouldn't be there. Well, we got to get something in the Newcomb. we got to have a development there. And then somebody does something and everybody goes, oh, no, let's just make it a parking lot. There's too many issues here. It's always the same people Can we please stop listening to them? They're not worth our time. They're not going to be here in 20 years. You know where they'll be? Dead. And so I think it's time we start listening to people that will be here in 20 years and also thinking about the people that aren't here and could potentially be here. Does that mean if we build this building, we have some more market rate apartments, which, by the way, that's the other thing nobody's getting really excited about, is the fact that everything else we build is for elderly people and a lot of it is income-based. Finally, we have market-based apartments and everybody wants to go well i bet they won't be yes they are going to be that and so now that there's a possibility of having that why don't we go oh that's a good idea let's see how we can make this work instead of going well i i bet in the end it won't be that that's ridiculous it's why we have the issues we do it's why we don't move forward as a community it's why trash stickers everybody thinks should still be 50 cents it's that same mentality it doesn't get it done it's not going to get it done it uh, starts with some of the folks on the city council and it ends with a lot of the uh, commenters on QuincyJournal.com. Next up, after several stories over the years of dangerous lapses in judgment and job performance, this week the director of the Secret Service, Julia Pearson, resigned. As bad as the Secret Service has been, we heard this week of an armed ex-con getting on an elevator with a president, a fence jumper getting deep into the White House, somebody posing as a congressman and getting backstage with a president, and then Pearson herself saying that the Secret Service should just be more like Walt Disney World. Most certainly there are other instances that we just aren't aware of, and as bad as it is, Pearson resigned this week and actually took responsibility for the poor performance. As the Straw Man blog pointed out this week, her resignation is something new for this administration. Will responsibly removing yourself catch on in D.C., Brian? I don't know that there's ever a responsibly removing yourself. Even with her, it's always pushed and it depends on when they decide to push you. Now, if this situation has played out as has been reported in the media that you've got Michelle Obama shrieking in the White House, well within her right, and she should be upset about it. But if this is indeed the case, then it's no surprise that she resigned. It was obviously a forced resignation because there's the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, guess what? It happens in the White House, too. And I don't think it's a surprise that she resigned. If, if Michelle's mad, then Brock's mad, then, you know, everybody's mad, and so she's out the door. I think it speaks to a larger issue of President Obama and Michelle, but have not been maybe as inclined to force other people out. Think about that, because there are many other people that really probably should have gone, and there's some that have gone, but, but in Washington, D.C., you don't just go, oh, I screwed up, my bad, I'm out. No, 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 you get forced out. That's how it works. And so I think it speaks to the larger issue of the president not forcing people out that needed to be forced out, not firing people and letting them gracefully resign. That's the main issue here. This I'm not surprised that she resigned because it had this effect on their family. And so she should have, and that's what she did. Is she leading the Congo line, or is she following in the Congo line that Eric Holder has renewed? The difference between Eric and Julius, he's not taking responsibility for anything that happened in his department while he was there. I wonder if you're going to see more high-profile defections, whether it's under the, you know what, my time is done, or if it's more accusations that lead to more defections from the 
D.C. from the White House staff, from those appointed by Obama, as his administration starts to wind down its time in Washington and runs up against more and more substantive opposition. And if the elections in November go the way Republicans are hoping they're going, nothing is going to get done between that time and when the next president takes the oath of office anyway. So this could be just the beginning of everyone jumping off. The Secret Service is also claiming that they are uh, several bodies down because of expanded protection. For example, White House Senior Advisor Valerie Jarrett has a full-scale Secret Service detail, and they go with her everywhere, and they perform menial tasks for her. And a person of her status has never received that kind of protection before. David Axelrod was given some protection because there were some legitimate threats against him a few years ago, and it was one of these petty jealousy moves where she saw Axelrod getting this protection, so she figured, I need to have that protection too. Incidentally, and if you don't know this, I think she is the vilest person in America, and I wish we could get her out sooner rather than later. Halfway through the 88th Watchman, and we tackle the underlying weakness of political correctness. After the break. You turn on your radio and contact the code. The Watchman. So weak. Now, boys, what did we say about threatening each other at breakfast? The Watchman. Well... You're not scared, are you? Welcome back, Lamplighters. Now, we didn't include this story last Saturday. Uh, in Oklahoma, there was a beheading that is uncomfortable on every level. Man, Muslim, black, gets suspended at work, and in response, stabs and beheads a female co-worker that he's had a dispute with that led to the suspension in the first place. Stabs and kills another female co-worker who tried to intervene, gets shot by his boss, not fatally. I mean... This is an atrocity. However, it's being labeled as duh, 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 workplace violence. County prosecutor said the attack had more to do with race than religion. However, the killer was heard saying things in Arabic during the attack. Murder's mom says we need to wait for the whole story to come out. Where would this legitimately be considered workplace violence? And I haven't seen yet. Has now come out against this killer and his jihad, Brian? Uh, not that I know of. Uh, but But then the other thing with this particular story is the fact that everybody wants to ignore it. I mean, really, quite honestly, we, we've moved on. We're gonna, uh, Ebola, Secret Service, what other issues do we have going on? ISIS. You know, I mean, there's so many issues happening right now, and this plays into all of that, specifically with the ISIS threat, and yet we still want to ignore it. In fact, uh, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, that would be CARE, they're still doing their thing, trying to gin up this idea that anybody that may have an issue with some of these jihadis, jihadis being Muslims that are carrying out a holy war on people and beheading people, they're still uh, kind of enamored with this notion that that's not okay. Because apparently, even after people come to our shores and start to behead people at work in the name of... Muhammad or ISIS or Allah or whatever, uh, apparently we're still supposed to play nice. And I'm not saying you go out and you start retaliating. That's not my point. What I am saying is you call it what it is. And so whether it's at Fort Hood where we called it workplace violence or it's in Oklahoma where we called it workplace violence, that may be a comfortable term to use. And it may be the only thing we can possibly come up with that's not some sort of jihad or holy war or terrorism. 
Uh, but that doesn't make it right. And so I think that we need to stop listening to some of these groups, CARE uh, particularly. Hopefully the people at the top, that being the president, would stop listening to these groups and would start to call things for what they are. Because we have to recognize uh, that, look, we're fighting a war against ISIS overseas, whether we want to call it that or not. And it appears that we're going to fight that war at home, too, at least in some context. And if we're not willing to call it what it is, then I don't see how we can ever win the war. And I think that is the point usually to win the war. The reason this has been brushed under the rug is because it's not a motif that fits a liberal press's guidelines. It is a man attacking a woman, which would usually they would be okay, but he's not a white man. He's not a man that's in a traditional position of authority, and he is a man that has a cultural blending. That is to say, he's here, he's an American, he was screaming in Arabic, while carrying out his workplace violence. So we're not real sure, as a liberal media, where to go with this story. Workplace violence has become the label by which they can gloss over the hard-to-untangle details when people take these actions. Here's what we need to do, the other uncomfortable angle of this, and this would make liberals very uncomfortable. We need to flip the script. And instead of sending aid to Israel, we need to start asking Israel for aid. They have been fighting these sorts of wars by that I mean personal, street level, in your home for decades. And we are f completely unfamiliar with how to do that, completely unfamiliar with how to handle ourselves, completely unfamiliar and uncomfortable with how to label those situations. We need to start importing help from our ally in the Gulf states, rather than just sending everything on a one-way track. Go back to Fort Hood. We had a guy who was Muslim and obviously was acting on behalf of his interpretation of the religion, and we've done nothing more than uh, you know soft-sell that and not give it the attention it deserves, trying to just treat it in some odd context. And as long as we continue to be soft in this, as long as we continue to not press and not call radical Islam for what it is in many situations. I mean, you know, the, the people who want to go, away, well, yeah, Christians kill people too. Well, okay, it, it's, it's not the Dark Ages anymore. It's not the Crusades anymore, okay? This is completely different. I don't see a lot of people and a lot of Christian sects who are doing this sort of thing. We've got way too many Muslims who are doing this, and, you know, we need to call them out, and we can't skate around the issue any longer. Next topic. Ebola Comes to America, Part 2. On Episode 80, we talked about a couple of American doctors contracting Ebola in Africa and coming home and being treated with ZMAP. We mentioned that in the past, the media had played up illnesses that never became the pandemic that they were scaring us about. Last weekend in Dallas, a guy from Liberia with Ebola was sent home from the doctor's office because of a computer miscommunication by the team that was examining him. They sent him home with some antibiotics. A couple of days later, he's wildly vomiting outside of his apartment. I'm quoting the wildly vomiting part as the ambulance arrived. His nephew had already called the CDC to make sure that his uncle would be cared for properly, implying that they knew. The ambulance that transported the patient wasn't taken out of service and quarantine for another couple of days, and those who worked in the vehicle after the fact weren't even contacted about it. There are at least 80 people in Dallas being watched or quarantined that this patient came in contact with. Now, the word is Ebola's not easy to get, and it's not easy to transmit. And we're screaming 
detaining people at the border for this? Really? Yet, whoops, here we are. Is Ebola a cure for laziness and potentially political correctness, Sean? Well, I hope not, because that would literally be a case where the cure is worse than the disease. And I wouldn't hope that on anyone. Uh, you take a look at what Ebola is, and it is a global pandemic waiting for its breakout moment. In a world in which we are now so connected, where a business traveler can fly from a business hub in the U.S., say San Francisco, to Tokyo, go on from there to someplace like Saudi Arabia, and then head to London or Madrid, and then back to New York in a very short span. I'm surprised that authorities are able to combat this at all. And the fact that we are taking some steps to try and prevent this, I'm willing to stand up and applaud. But when something slips through the cracks, what we have to battle against isn't taking the steps to correct it. It's the idea of fear becoming the next sort of invasion by trying to use scare tactics or just gin up viewership, clicks, whatever you have, listeners, by telling everybody that this is going to run wild and devastate the population. I don't think that's the case. I'm looking for two things to come out of this. Number one, doing some research, Illinois has a procedure in place to quarantine people who are screened as they come into the state and may have this. So it's going to be tough. I think other states have that too for it to spread northward from Dallas. Number two, I look at what is being done to fight the disease. The president recently said he leveraged the military on Ebola. Now I hope that means the military scientists that are working on it because if we could have sent SEAL Team 6 to quash it a while ago, I'm pretty sure we would have. But this is a case in which we now have a high ideals moment. This is something in which which you can reach across geopolitical lines and work together to eradicate for the benefit of all of humanity. And I hope something good comes out of this scare. And right now, I'm just going to categorize it as a scare and not yet this pandemic plague that some are thinking it may become. No, but I think it's important, though, to, to recognize it for what it is. And I hope it's not on the level that they think it might be. It showed up in D.C. yesterday. And I'm here to tell you, now that it's in Washington, D.C., it's about to get started stupid out there, folks, and the reason for that being that once it shows up in Washington, D.C., then it becomes reality. Well, and how quickly Every do people time. commute to and from D.C. on a daily basis? Well, and there's that, but this is in a place where the majority of people live there, whether they're in Congress, out of Congress, related in some way, shape, or form, they're uh, tasked with being a part of the solution, whether that happens or not. The other part of this, too, and I, I didn't come up with this, but I think it's a plausible theory, is the fact that Ebola represents a threat to amnesty and open borders. I mean, if suddenly we have a lot of people that aren't from here contracting this and spreading it, when it goes from a non-citizen to a citizen, that's when all of a sudden the entire immigration debate implodes. And reality becomes that, guess what? The open borders aren't such a great thing. And gee, maybe we ought to be screening people. And it's going to get a little dicey here over the next six, eight months to a year. I mean, I have no no doubt about that unless we get it under control, and I don't necessarily know that we will. So Brian says that Ebola is a threat to utopia, Bob. I also hope that the people who are on the crazy, oh, my God, don't vaccine my kids anymore, and that whole uh, you know movement, I hope those kind of people are paying attention to this as well. I mean, not when you go to school, you have to send your kids to school. You have to make sure every couple of years, you know, you, you, go, to, you go to kindergarten, move, and get your six, seven shots, whatever. Then a couple, three years later, hey, need another shot. Hey, need another. You, you, you do that, and, and we have to continue to do that so we can fight diseases so we don't have something like this happen. And if we're just going to get lax and not do that, then it's going to be a whole mess of problems. Fortunately, the good thing that could come out of this, as Brian had said, maybe 
this will make people look at this open borders issue with a little more common sense to say, yeah, we, we probably ought to have some sort of way to, to track and make sure people you know, have their shot. Well, and the other thing, too, the president spoke with immigration activists earlier this week. They're not happy with him because he hasn't gotten done what he promised to do, and that was to make them all citizens. Uh, and he told them that, quote, no force on earth can stop us. He forgot about Ebola. He said, si se puede, si vamos. It should have been si se puede, si vomitos. All right, last link's an opportunity to chime in on a topic that we haven't gotten to on the double eights episode of The Watchmen. We'll put 30 seconds on the clock and find out what you bring to the table. This week we're going to start with Bob. The Kansas City Royals back in the baseball playoffs for the first time in 29 years, and they provided a great thrill in the wild card game earlier this week. So the little brothers from western Missouri are now on the same October stage that the big boys from St. Louis have had for the last 15 years pretty consistently. I do not want to see an I-70 World Series because I was just starting to like the Kansas City Royals again. I would not want to start disliking them again so soon. Right. The president earlier this week said that we should judge him based on his policies in this upcoming election, which was much to the chagrin of many of these embattled candidates throughout the country trying to flee him as quickly as possible. Well, let's judge him on his policies. Uh, specifically, let's judge him on Obamacare as it's uh, celebrating a year anniversary. I don't think we need to go too far into the details on it uh, other than to say how's that working out for you, especially as everyone is preparing for that whole delay thing they did last year to expire and those of you that didn't get kicked off your policies to now get kicked off your policies. So whether you judge them on health insurance or immigration or executive orders or just go down the list, let's judge the president on his policies in the November elections. Let's judge him accordingly, regardless of where we're voting, whether that's on the local level, uh, the state level, or the national level. Sean. The FCC is talking seriously about fining broadcasters for using the name Redskins on the air. They received a petition asking that a D.C. radio station lose its license for someone there referring to the team, the hometown team, as the Redskins. FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler, he's taking this seriously. He said, quote, we'll be looking at that petition. We'll be dealing with that issue on its merits and responding accordingly. End quote. This is no more than political censorship. This is no more than government intrusion. For those who say it's a relic of a bygone era, so are other words, but we didn't have to legislate them out. We knew as a society their time had come and gone. The name Redskins may represent the time that's gone by, but you cannot use the heavy hand of government censorship to enforce our speech processes. Thank you, Sean. It's becoming more and more clear this week with the Secret Service, uh, the CDC, that the JV team isn't ISIS. It's not Ebola. It's this administration and its appointees and its insistence on optics over substance. You can't be varsity if you're more worried about how you look than how you're actually performing. The JV's here and it's in D.C. That is episode 88 of The Watchmen. Tune in next week when Brian will start a campaign to label overt progressive ideals in movies and TV as the script. The Watchmen convene again in one week on WTAD. Podcast available online at WTAD.com.